Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. So we look at verse 1 and verse 2. I love this time of year. I, I love it. I, I love the excitement of the quarter starting back. I love the excitement of gathering our people back in uh, worship services after they've been gone during the summer and different things going on. I love being able to come back and to uh, see what God is doing in our hearts and lives. Now, I will tell you that I'm especially grateful for air conditioning this time of year. But I am grateful for this season. I love the Friday nights where you get to go and watch football. I love the Saturdays where now we have the college season that has really taken root and is beginning again. I love, hey, I love what a lot of uh, schools participate in, a sport called cross country. Cross country. I don't know uh, if some of your kids or grandkids may participate in it, or some of you all actually participate in it, but it, but it is a great sport. It is a sport uh, that is, is pretty difficult. As a matter of fact, you have to prepare in quite a great way for it. You know, I, I often think with Hayes running and others running that I probably could give a lot of insight to them, especially for my athletic ability, but mine, mine's usually away from running. I don't run too much, uh, but I do try to walk. And you know, I think of all the preparation of those who are running as they're getting themselves ready for season and they go through the conditioning and they just run and run and run just so that they're ready for the, for the race that they're going to enter into. And I recognize that and I think to myself, you know, again, I don't run, but I walk. And, and I was, I was kind of Googling this week because see, that's kind of, that's about the only athletic type of expertise I could find is looking at Google and, and seeing that not only are there tips of running, but there are also tips of walking. I, I was thinking to myself, now I can understand when you're preparing for cross country, you got to, you got to condition yourself, but walking, I mean, walking is just a natural aspect of life, is it not? I mean, just, uh, there's a, there's a proper way to walk. I mean, I looked at it, you could find six tips on the way you should walk. You could find this, these different practical applications of how you walk, posture and speed and the way, I mean, walking, why would you need help? walking. But you know, as I was looking at that and preparing this week for this message, I realized that when Paul was writing the book of Ephesians, he would use his favorite verb actually would be walk. And in so many ways, he would instruct the, the disciples, the believers of God, he would instruct them on how they were to walk. So in other words, there must be something to this. We need some instruction, at least spiritually speaking, as we walk for the Lord, as we walk in Him. And that's what I want to really focus on in the next few weeks. I want to talk to you about how we are to walk, how we are to walk each and every day with the Lord Jesus. And this will apply. It will apply across the board. It will apply to our pra practice. It will apply to our plan. It will apply to our relationships. We're going to talk about some of those relationships, work-oriented relationships, family relationships. You'll see that here in Ephesians 5 and chapter 6 as well. So we're going to talk about how we as a people, we as a church, will walk in Him. But it all begins 
with this realization that Christ is our salvation and that if he is our salvation, it affects the way we walk. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk. Again, I told you that this will be Paul's favorite verb in the book of Ephesians. He says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. What Paul says here is that as you think about your walk, you think about your practice, understand this, that our walk is based on his work. How we walk is based on the work that has been accomplished through Christ Jesus for us. That's what he's saying. Verse 1, that first word, therefore. If you're reading through the Bible and you see that word, therefore, you're, you probably need to ask yourself the question, what is it therefore, right? Why is this therefore there? Why is it there? What is he saying? Because it is a transition. If you read in the New Testament, you're reading along and you see therefore, you know Paul's trying to get your attention and shift you just a bit. Now, I went back and actually looked, and beginning in chapter 4, you will find therefore in verse 1, in verse 17, in verse 25 in your English translation. So in other words, he's really trying to say, look at what I'm saying. Let me apply. Therefore, based on what I have said earlier. So beginning in chapter 4, he uses these therefores. That means that he is basing his his conversation around what he has previously presented. So in chapters 1 through 3, what did he present? He presented Christ as our salvation. In other words, because Christ is our salvation, therefore, you're going to walk in these different ways. Christ is our salvation. So let me show you a few of these verses from the first few chapters. See, some of you thought you were getting off light today because I only had two verses. You thought we'd be out of here by like 945. Wrong. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1. It speaks to us. Again, if we're going to go back and we're going to talk about how Paul had made his case and then he had said, therefore, you got to go back to like chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Basically, what Paul writes to them and he says is that God has redeemed us. He has redeemed us. He has bought us back. He has provided for us exactly what was necessary to effect our salvation. So, again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, he had said that Christ was like this offering that gave this sweet 
fragrance. It is literally, when you look at that, it means good odor, sweet aroma that God had brought to the Father, that Jesus had brought to the Father above, that he was the sacrifice. The language of chapter 5, verse 2 of this wonderful aroma, it goes back to Leviticus. Oh, yeah, that book is in the Bible, right? Leviticus 1, 2, and 3. Because in Leviticus 1, 2, and 3, it speaks about the different types of offerings. For example, in those three chapters, it will talk about the burnt offering. It will talk about the meal offering, the fellowship offering. It will talk about the peace offering. And in each case, when you read through those three chapters, it will talk about how that offering would bring a sweet aroma to the God above. So here, it's the idea that Jesus was the offering. He was the burnt offering, totally consumed for us. He was the meal offering, the fellowship uh, offering that represents our relationship with the Lord. And he was the peace offering because he made peace between God and man. He really was. And he, he demonstrated this sweet smell to the Father. But we know also that through this redemption, as Paul says in chapter 1, that his blood was applied to our lives, and he washed us and he cleansed us so that we could have forgiveness. In other words, he has redeemed us. I would say to you as well that when you think about the therefore of what came before it and as you're reading through about Christ being our salvation, it, that our walk is based on his work, he, he worked to redeem us, but he also worked to regenerate us. What does regenerate mean? It means to make alive, to make alive again. Um, chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, we've been made alive in him. Before Christ, we were dead. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins, but we have been made alive. Now think of it this way. Before, before you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were part of the walking dead. That's more than a series on TV. It is a reality in your life. I, I went back and I looked at it. I said, in a sense, we were like corpses. But as I studied, actually, Ephesians chapter 2 says that the dead were walking around. Now, usually I think of dead people, I think they can't walk, right? But here in chapter 2, it says that they were actually walking around in darkness and in their own sin, that they're walking around. So it's like they're zombies. Now, you've seen some people look like zombies, right? You saw a couple come in this morning probably look like zombies. Do you see them during worship? 
Just kidding, just kidding. There are those that are part of like this, this body. Before they accept Christ, though, before you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were walking around dead. But what happened? God brought you life. He redeemed you and he regenerated you. That's what Paul had said earlier in, ver in chapters 1 through 3. He said, God regenerated you. He brought you to life. Folks, when I walk out of this place, I have life in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I go about my business each day, when I see people, I know that I am alive because of what Jesus Christ has done in my heart. I'm not a walking zombie. I'm not the walking dead. I am alive through Christ Jesus. And how did that come? It came through grace. For it is by grace that you are saved. In chapter 1, he had talked about it was because of grace that you had been appointed to this position, that you had been brought into this relationship with God. Grace. What is grace? I love the classic definition. God's riches at Christ's expense. You and I have the riches of God according to what Ephesians 2 says. We've been made alive because of Jesus Christ and his giving his life for us, for him being that sweet-smelling offering. We are regenerated. We are alive. How did we unlock that life? God gave us grace, and we responded in faith. It is through faith, absolute trust, and commitment that we give our lives and we are regenerated. We are birthed into the family of God. Oh, that brings me to this. We are not only redeemed, we're not only regenerated. This is where it gets, this is where it gets icing on the top, folks. We are received. What do you mean by that? We are received into the family of God. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, you are dear children. All throughout Ephesians, you'll see some type of references to the idea that we have been brought into the family. Understand that God could have made us alive, and technically, we could have remained outside of the family of God. We could have. We could have been redeemed, and we could have been regenerated. And we could have still remained outside the family. Some of you say, well, there's no way. Oh, yes, there is a way. Think of the angels for a moment. Now, I know they're not redeemed, but I will say that the angels are spiritual beings, living entities, right? But they're not part of the family of God. They haven't been grafted into the family, so to speak. Oh, they're part of the kingdom, but they are never referred to necessarily in a family-type setting, not like let me say this, not like believers are. Never. So what he does is he brings us into the family. Again, back to chapter 1, trying to get you to stay awake this morning by flipping back and forth or sliding that screen a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1, we read a moment ago, verse 5, it says that having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Through adoption, through this legal and formal, formal declaration 
that we are children of God, we have come into the family. I believe this is one of the most beautiful pictures you'll find in the New Testament, the doctrine of adoption. Now, I think the picture of adoption and the reality of adoption is a beautiful picture in our world as well. Uh, I, let me stop here and say this. On October the 7th, October the 7th, we're going to have a meeting where we focus a little bit on how we as a church will respond and help for those that are maybe looking toward adopt, adoption or those who are looking at providing foster care for families. Even if you are not, you're going to hear me say more about this, but even if you're not saying, hey, this is the time in my life to adopt or provide foster care, you as individuals might, might be there to say, hey, we can come alongside those families and we can help them. We can provide a meal for them every now and then. We can help them maybe as they go through this ministry, we can be there for them. So I hope that you'll mark that. It's a beautiful picture. But what God does is he takes this picture of adoption and he says, I am applying it to my relationship with you. I have redeemed you. I have renewed you, uh, revitalized you, regenerated you. And I have also received you into my family. You have been brought in legally to my family. And you bear all the privileges and rights that the family would have. Again, John will speak about this, or did speak about this in his gospel, John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to became, become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Later he'll write in his epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. We're part of the family. We're part of the family. Isn't that awesome? God has grafted you in. He not only saved you, he not only brought you life, but he said, I want you to come into my family. I'm going to bring you in and you're going to be mine. I am formally, legally, I am authentically bringing you in as my children. And what's incredible is we were so far away from God when he made this decision to bring us in. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were literally at enmity with God, that we were in hostility. It wasn't like he, we were, oh yeah, thinking about, we were set on our own path. We were set on our sinful desire and Christ just brought us in to the family. We were strangers and foreigners. Chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, members of the family of God. It is so great that God has brought us in so that we can experience the blessings of the family. And I would even stop here and say this as well. You and I need family. And we need a spiritual family. Now, I believe that we are part of the spiritual family of God that would be represented all over this globe. So I have a brother and sister in Christ that may be in India or China or in any of the Middle Eastern countries, wherever, I have a brother and sister there because we're part of the same family. So I believe that. 
But I also think it's so important that you have a family locally. I believe it's important to have a, a church, a people that you belong to. I, and we have some great churches here in Ruston and beyond. I'm praying for them and the work that God is doing because we need all our churches to be strong right now. We need, I, I tell people all the time, there are enough people in Lincoln Parish and Union Parish and a lot down in Jackson Parish <laughs> who need the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to all have strong churches. There are enough people for all of us if we'd get out the business of God and get to winning them to the Lord. There are all kinds of people. But we need churches. We need a family. I'm grateful to be a part of this family. And I literally believe this is a family that we come into. We've been brought together in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're part of the family. So my walk is based on his work. It is based on Christ's work. That's what I would just show you. But also my walk is based on his way. My walk will mirror his way. Look again in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, be imitators of God. Imitators. The original language, the Greek word is mimite. Mimite. I give you that Greek word because can you hear? Can you hear the, the English term that we derive from that Greek? The English term is mimic. Mimic. You are to mimic God. Now, when I was growing up, I was thinking to myself, mimic's not a good thing. Or maybe I should say mocking somebody's not a good thing. Sometimes, I hate to admit this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Sometimes when I was growing up, my mama would say something to me, and she would turn around. And when she turned around, None of you ever did that kind of stuff, did you? <laughs> I, I would kind of mock my... And, and this is the deal is, mama had eyes in the back of her head. What'd you say? No, I, no, mama. Oh, no, 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 I didn't say anything. Oh, what'd you do? No, no, mama. No, no, nothing. We, I'm, I'm in with you. Obedience right here, right? It's, yes. When you think of trying to mimic somebody... You know, when, when you're part of the family, you know that you bear some type of characteristics of that family. Now, physically, you can bear the, you can bear the marks of the family. <laughs> I often say if you go to North Mississippi and you see a nose like this, you probably just ran into a Bridges. We all have the same characteristic nose. It's, it's just there. It's what it is, you know. We have some type of physical resemblance. Uh, I, I hate to admit, but there are times now that I look in the mirror and I see Gerald Bridges, my dad. And it drives me crazy. <laughs> and what drives me even crazier is not just the physical resemblance, but sometimes the practical resemblance. I can hear things coming out my mouth today that my dad used to say. Things that I would... I would have cringed to hear him say things that I would have said, no way. I mean, mannerisms, I, I see those. I see those in my life. I, I can, look, <laughs> especially this time of year, as I 
speaking of the heat and stuff a moment ago, that when it is so hot and everything, and one of the children leave a door open. What do you think we're doing? We're not trying to air condition the whole world. Shut that door. Oh, the spirit of Gerald Bridges had descended upon me at that time. God, why did I say that? Why are we keeping the lights on? You leave the house, you leave the room, you turn the light off. I tell you, the older I get, the more I recognize that I start acting more and more like my dad. Now, my family always said, you need to act like the family. They would. My, my parents would get on to me sometimes when I would be misbehaving, and they would say things like, hey, you know you're acting like those, and they would call the name of the people down the street. <laughs> kind of like here, you know, there are times when you kids were misbehaving and said, you know what? You start to act like those Cox kids over there. You know those Cox kids? Now, I'm not talking about Jack and Kenny's side. I'm talking about Bill's side. But anyway, you start those Cox kids. <laughs> Trying to act like those. You know, you act like the Because my parents always said, you got to act. You got you to gotta be. You are. Now, I always said that I wasn't real like thinking it was, well, I shouldn't say this, but it really wasn't necessarily a prideful thing to be a Bridges. We had a lot of, a lot of hangups in our lives ourselves but that's what they would say they would say hey and Paul says here he says be imitators of God if you're gonna walk walk like God would have you to walk you follow him you mimic you mimic in a positive way you mimic the father in in your life see my walk is first based on his work because he is my salvation. I cannot walk effectively or appropriately if, first of all, I have not experienced the salvation of Jesus in my life. But then once I experience his salvation and he brings me into the family through this great doctrine of adoption, when he brings me into the family, he calls me to mimic the father's behavior, the father's mannerisms, the father's attitudes and characteristics. I am to mimic the father. I am to be an imitator of God. We're going to talk more about how it fleshes out in the next few weeks. But for the sake of our message this morning, the sake of time this morning, I just want you again to hear, how are you representing the Father? How are you mimicking the Father's characteristics? How are you looking like the Father? Now, we do have a practical example that he gave to us. And the practical example, the Lord Jesus. That's right. Remember, Jesus even said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Whatever I do, I do it as the Father commands or obeys. I, I obey the Father, that is. The Father is the one who gives direction. So we follow the Son's example. Look in verse 2 again. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. The translation I would give you on that, 
I went back and looked at the original language there, and the way I think it should be translated, the way it should be translated is, and go on walking in love in a present tense type of way. Ongoing. Go on walking in love as Christ also decisively loved us. In other words, Christ gave us the decisive example of what love is. When, when Jesus Christ descended to this earth, when he took upon the sins of man, the sins of all of us there on that cross, when he died for us, he was showing us what love really was. It is the greatest example of love. So when I want to mirror or mimic the characteristics, the mannerisms of the Father, all I've got to do is look toward Jesus. And I follow him in who he is. Chapter 2, or uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Going back to chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14. I love this nugget in verse 14 and verse 15. I don't know if I'd ever paid as much of attention to it as I have this week as I've studied this message. But chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The idea is that the family would reflect the name. And the name here in particular is the name of Jesus. That all of the family would be recognized or give proof of the name of Jesus. One of our staff members a few months ago had been eating out into a restaurant and uh, he left and actually, a few days later or so, got a phone call from his credit card company. The credit card company said, hey, have you been doing this and all this and whatever else going in this place and all? We have, we have, we have transactions at Walmart like at 1 or 2 in the morning. Now, Dale stays up late. <laughs> and he does make a lot of bluebell runs around 2 or 3 in the morning if you've ever been there. But, uh, but he said, no, I haven't done that. We haven't been there in those places. And they said, we believe that your credit card's been compromised, been stolen. Well, it ended up that there was a waiter that had taken the uh, number and obviously had decided he would uh, buy whatever he wanted to buy at Walmart. I remember talking to this one staff member after it was over with. And I said, are you okay? And this, this. I said, oh, and they said, oh, yes, it's fine. They said, they said, this is the big deal about it. I said, what's the big deal? And they said, the big deal is the person who stole my credit card, his name was Christian. I said, really? I said, what are they going to do about it? He said, I don't know what they're going to do about it. I just want one thing. I don't really care what they do about it. And, you know, I just want to say one thing to the guy. And I said, oh, yeah? <laughs> What do you want to say to him? I want to say to him, you either change your way or you change your name. <laughs> I've thought about that. You and I bear the name of Christ. 
It says at the church at Antioch, those believers were first called Christians. You and I bear the name. We bear the name not just when we come on Sunday morning to worship. We bear the name when we walk down a hall in that educational building. You and I bear the name when we walk into that hospital to go about our business. You and I bear the name when we walk into our offices. You and I bear the name when we walk into our family living room. You and I bear the name wherever and in whatever we do. And I would say to you that the Lord would look at us at some time and say, Guys, gals, you either need to change your, name, change your ways or change your name. Because you are to look like me. You are to follow my example. Specifically, walk in love. I'm going to talk more about the specifics of the walk next week. But walk in love. Verse 32 which, uh, of chapter 4, which had just been stated before he gave us this therefore. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You love, you walk in love. Tenderhearted, compassionate, forgiving. That's just one way that you are to look like Christ. My friends... We are called to walk. We are called to practice our faith daily. And as we walk, we must remember that our walk is based on his work. He has done a, he has done a work in us. He has redeemed us. He has regenerated us. And he has received us into his family. And because he has done a work... He has also provided a way. And you and I need to walk in his way. We need to base our lives on what Jesus would do. We are to mimic the Father, to be imitators of God, but we're also to follow the example of the Son as he has set it forth so clearly for us. Today, if you are a believer in Christ, that means he's brought you in. It means he's put you into his family. Today, if you're a believer in Christ and you're part of the family, he wants you to walk accordingly. He wants you to demonstrate the Father and to demonstrate the Son in every area of your life. I would just ask you, first, have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because that has to come before you can be a part of the family. Have you accepted him? Has he birthed you, given you life? I say to you that today, if you'll accept him by faith, totally trust him, commit yourself to him, he will save you. That's his promise. I ask you today, for those of you who are believers in this place, how are you mimicking the Father? How are you representing the Son to each and every person you bump into? How do you look like Jesus? And that old question, which is the test for every one of us, 
the test for us as a church. It's not how many Bible verses you know. It's not how many songs you can sing. It's not any of that stuff. The test for all of us is, do we look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday? Do you? Do you? Would you allow the Spirit of God to speak to your life and encourage you and transform you as you live as the children of the Most High, as you live as the family that bears the name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus? Would you hear him and would you respond? Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this morning. And God, I pray that you would speak to us now. Those who need to be saved, those who need to give their lives to you, those who need to be a part of the family, even those who need to come and be a part of this family, this specific one here at Temple Baptist Church. Lord, give them the courage. Help them as they follow you. And God, for all of us who are believers, would you help us look more like you? God, we need your help in that process. Help us look more like you today and tomorrow and beyond. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.